This is a 87 TV Network exclusive. Purse Clothing is a new stylish black-owned brand established in 2016. They explore unfamiliar territories in the clothing industry by tailoring their Euro Street vibe into their entire product line to enrich their vision to their customers and all of their clients. In a world where you can be anything, Japuris says, be you, be versatile. Chapur's clothing can also be found at www.shopchapurisclothing.com. And Chapur's clothing is also an official partner of this show. Real talk with the six man. Chapur's. Be you. Be versatile. What's going on, everybody? What is going on? Welcome back to the show, man. Welcome back, man. It's gonna be a good night, man, because uh, we gonna we gonna talk. We gonna talk and get a few things clear. Um, I'm excited because I met this young lady. Um, like I just told her, just in a a social aspect, and then I start following her on social media, and I was just like, wow, she seemed like she might be impactful, and. Uh, right up my alley at some things that I want to talk about in the district because I'm a Ward 8 resident, as, as a lot of you already know, and um, Ward 8 specifically is having a hard time in so many different areas. <clears throat> and so I just recently had a few um, episodes in regards to gun violence, in regards to um, violence overall with the young people, and, uh, specifically men. And so now we want to just bring in t um, just some things that we might not know on a day-to-day -day basis but some things that I think we definitely need to know because she wants to talk about some things that I think all of us need to, one, understand, and two, follow through with it once we get the information. So I have Miss Sharice Crawford. How you doing? Hello, everyone. How are you? Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. I mean, you know, I thought I thought it was impactful for me to do it because I feel like um, as I followed you a little bit, um, I start developing in this this little. Um, let me see what she did yesterday. Let me see what she did today. <laughs> and so, and I think everybody has their own little social media thing in terms of what they looking for and what they what type of content they want to um, listen to. So, before we get started, can you tell the listeners kind of who you are, your background, what you've done thus far, and kind of what you're doing today? 
Uh, absolutely. My name is Sharice Crawford. I am a native Washingtonian, and I think it's also important to identify uh, my lineage because I am a descendant of um, enslaved persons here in America, actually the fourth generation free Ooh. in this country. And I think that I want to make it's important to me to make that to destigmatize the connection with our lineage uh, in this country. And so uh, I want to start sharing more of my stories, more of my ancestral stories, uh, and really try as I continue to self-identify and go on a journey of, of self-identity uh, and why I feel so passionately about uh, gentrification and, you know, the more I became educated about understanding the debt that is owed uh, in this country and throughout the diaspora, the diaspora uh, for enslaved persons. And so uh, I am a former uh, elected ANC commissioner. I served uh, two terms as an ANC and then recently elected to the D.C. Democratic Party mm. and uh, representing the District of Columbia. Okay, I saw that it was a need for the Democratic Party to uh, step up and speak up on behalf of the African-American community, the black community, Absolutely. especially those who were impacted and are the descendants of those who were enslaved here in this country. I believe we've done uh, uh, supported every specialized group in this country except the African-American community and the black right. community who is the most marginalized still to this day. Um, and so I've done a lot of work on policy, both locally, uh, here in the district government, as well as nationally and um, federally, uh, working on congressional legislation and uh, policy in the U.S. Senate. And as you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier, where D.C. is not a state, and if we were a state, we would have a little bit more leverage right. in the Senate and in the Congress. Right. But because we don't, I leverage a lot of my friendships um, around the country for those who do have congressional member votes and Senate votes uh, and that are willing to speak up and step up on causes that are important to all of us. Right. And I think that's important because um, at the end of the day, I think um, when we first started, you know, trying to get this transition, um, and I mean, when I say transition, I mean from a child to an adult. Yeah. It's a lot of stuff that we missed out on. Um, yeah. And we think about some of the stuff that we will discuss, but recently we talked about um, just entrepreneurship and generational wealth. And I feel like we had, you know, some of our family members, depending on how far they go back, you know, had that mindset. But yeah. at some point it fell off and it missed a couple of generations. And so now we're at the point now where we kind of are on track. You know, we know a little bit more about it. We're investing in some stuff, you know, depending on what you what your interest is. But it was one of them elements that I felt like in high school we missed. Everybody yeah. knew how to sell drugs. Everybody knew how to steal a car. Everybody could buy liquor before they was 21. So it was a lot of stuff that we learned how to do before we were even supposed to. So can you imagine if we had that type of information back then, what we'd be doing now? Absolutely. It'd be... Be, mm. I, you know, hashtag education reform. Right. Uh, I talk about that often. I'm working on that now. Uh, K through 12 education. Uh, not only is it not properly funded, the curriculum in itself does not is not suitable to sustain those that are coming out of uh, ed public 
uh, education. Right. Uh, charter school laws are aiding and abetting charter schools from opening and shutting their doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a revolving door. And so education reform looks like financial literacy in the classroom. It looks like understanding debt to income ratio. It looks like balancing a checkbook. It looks like uh, uh, understanding your credit score. Uh, it looks like uh, working on uh, having having a reserve six months fund, you know, uh, understanding stocks and bonds. Right. And these are none of the things that I've ever been taught in a classroom. Ever. And so we're definitely, you know, we're already 400 years behind on the 400-year anniversary from when our, my ancestors, our ancestors came right. uh, to this country uh, un- unwillingly. Uh, to build the country, right. and still, were, even when slavery was abolished, we're still enslaved 100 years later uh, until leaving plantations with nothing. And so if you were fortunate, you had family members who were sneaking away to get educated, to learn things, to be mm-hmm. able to pass down information and oral history. And and, and 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 written his and oral history as well as um, a video uh, logged history, but mm-hmm. for many of us like myself, there were no financial discussions uh, passed down from my mother or from her mother's mother. Uh, it was really uh, a situation of just figuring it out. And so today, I you know I say this and I do not take it lightly, uh, and I know there are many like myself that are out there who. Uh, have the same, uh, I guess you can say, uh, weight on their shoulders. But I am the first generation assigned to speak on behalf of my ancestors and to Mm. speak on behalf of my family and my lineage in regards to the things, the reconciliation that is needed, the restorative justice that is needed, uh, the reparations that is needed and and that is is owed uh, uh, for what has been left out for so many years, even as an educated woman, as a self-taught woman, I'm still carrying uh, that weight from 400 years later, four generations later. Well, I mean, so it, and so I guess my question, because we can now get into it since you've already let the cat out the bag, uh, what we're going to be discussing. So it seems like just just till recently, reparations, that word had just start popping up. No, uh, I think it's always been there. I think it's been very taboo, like mental health. Yes. You know, it's, there's a stigma associated with the word that we need to end the stigma. Uh, we must end the stigma. Uh, it, recently, uh, a video went viral with myself and Bernie Sanders. I saw that. Uh, where uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, where, you know, I smiled and said, hey, we, we want to talk about reparations. Yes. You know, we're we're. We're not the we shall overcome generation. We are not the uh, it is not sufficient any longer to tell us that you march with Dr. King. It is not sufficient any longer to tell us that you stood in the Birmingham uh, uh, buildings and you were at the riots. And it's not sufficient any longer to make those claims because we all know there were people who were present that were marching, that were with the movement, but were not with the movement. Mm. And so when Senator Sanders consistently responds to say he doesn't know what what is meant by that, it is a disgrace to the very cause that he says he marched and stood for because Dr. King said that we're coming to Washington to get our checks. 
And so everybody loved the nonviolent Dr. King and, the, you know, the stand down Dr. King. And, right. But when Dr. King took a stand to say, here's what we're standing up for and here's what we're going to get, people want to X that part out of history. Right. But no, not any longer, not anymore. And granted, you know, a lot of questions you get, well, well, well you weren't that hard on Obama. You know, I was a kid. You know, so I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm speaking on behalf of my lineage. Right. And again, self-educated, uh, attended, graduated from HBCU. So I was uh, formally educated there. But on most of the issues of regarding uh, what is owed to my ancestors is, is, is a self-taught uh, scenario. OK. And so I will say through the Obama terms, we had hope. A little bit. I, I had hope until the very day, end of the very end of the term, and then I was disappointed. Mm. You and so many other people. There's a lot of people that feel that way. There's a lot of people that feel like he 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 didn't do as much as they thought he could have. He but was some the people president. Say that he he had a, he had shackles on though. Some people would say he even know, he with do shackles on, the conversation should have been had. That's true. Even with shackles, we should not be just getting to a conversation where a Caucasian woman by the name of Senator Elizabeth Warren is leading the national conversation based on uh, 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 snafus that have that have we've seen with other candidates. Right. Uh, that should not be the first time this conversation becomes mainstream. Right. You could have shackles on, but to not begin the conversation. And here's what's also important. Now, Dr. Sandy Darity is a professor uh, down at Duke University. Uh, I have been following his research, following his work, and what is clear is that the reparations program isn't solely for African Americans, but there's a stigma for the subject as it relates to African Americans. Okay, uh, there have been several uh, specialized groups mm -hmm. paid out mm -hmm. on reparations programs. Mm -hmm. Even here in Washington, I recently learned that the mayor cut a check for $100,000 to support immigrants to be neutralized here in the country, mm. here in the District of Columbia. Mm. 100000 100000 was the overall budget. Okay. And we're seeing the Office of Latino Affairs handing out checks. Wow. Simply because the immigrants are looking to come to the district and, and, and wow. maintain citizenship and can stay here. Wow. So checks are being cut. I want to make that very clear when people say a check won't solve the problem or a check won't fix the problem. Perhaps no. There's no one thing that's going to solve a problem, but that doesn't mean that the debt is still not owed. You know, uh, if you were owed uh, a check from 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 your landlord or from uh, your for your business right. or, or for services for a debt that is owed to you, you don't are you're not entertaining the conversation of. That the landlord responding, you don't have to worry about it because a check isn't going to solve your problem. Right. Right. And that's exactly how people sound when they say a check won't solve the problem because it's not about solving the problem. It's ultimately about solving the problem. But first and foremost, it's about restoration. Yeah. We all know the problems that we face are multi-layered, multifaceted. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but that does not exempt what is owed. That does not exempt the debt that must be paid. And I, I was listening to a story in regards to uh, a, another entire race who was being paid to, you know, pretty much enslave people so that way they could get a piece of dead pie, so to speak. 
as well. So it was an interesting story. And when I listened to it, um, a friend of mine who's an older guy, he started asking me to look into the 13th Amendment. He started asking me to look into the Jim Crow laws. And I mean, because there's a lot of stuff that I haven't, that I wasn't really looking into. And yeah. I mean, I'm a street dude. I mean, everybody know that about me. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's now time to be educated to the fullest as much as you can. I mean, we can keep, you know, talking about what we don't know and blaming, you know, shit on the black, on the white man or the white man. Don't give me this. The white. No, 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 no. We got Google. Library is free. Let's stop bullshitting and let's start really understanding what's going on out here. Because if we don't, we just walking around like, uh, what's that TV show uh, with the zombies walking around? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of those. Yeah, I don't watch that show, but I mean, that's what we kind of look like. I mean, now that they've legalized marijuana in, in D.C., there's a lot of zombies walking around that don't really know what's going on. The only good thing that they know is that they can smoke weed now legally outside. Yeah, you know, you're definitely one of the people like myself, you know, born and raised in Southeast Washington, who was not supposed to. And he, here's what is interesting. You know, J. Edgar Hoover, former FBI director, said that the single most threat to the American government is black unity. Oh, yeah. This was the, the director of the FBI. Yes, man. And so... He knew that when we became awakened, that those of us that were were meant to be kind of, of pushed off into uh, uh, the wilderness to, right. to you know, uh, based on our zip codes, born there, that we were not supposed to be here in this moment having this conversation. We were not supposed to be an evolved and educated people. Mm. And so the more uh, we spread our share our stories, the more we spread messages of elevation uh, of self-elevation, of, of self-knowledge oh, and awareness, the more we'll see people uh, come out from being the walking dead I believe and that. start participating uh, in their own rescues. So even for those that say we're not looking for the white man to help us do X, Y, and Z, they, gotta, they don't understand the Federal Reserve is how it's cutting everybody's check. Yeah. The same, the same money and the same, uh, I'm sorry, the same reserves we're spending and the same bonds we're using, no matter how you look at it, how you earn that dollar, it's the same dollar. Right. So right. so if that is so, <laughs> right. if your claim is we don't need the white man to do it, then send your check back. Yes. Send your paycheck back. And that's not going to happen. No matter if you're a business owner, no matter if you're an employee, it's not going to happen. So it's not that. We, so so the white man is, is, is so the claim, the, the government, Uncle Sam they're printing the checks. They're determining what the value of the dollar is. Yes. And the value of our dollar is slowly decreasing as we move into every day into inflation. Mm -hmm. So so what is so what's important about this is that yes, we're coming to get the white man's dollar, the white man's check. Uncle Sam owes the debt. Absolutely. Uncle Sam is creating the dollar. He's determining the value. So what's owed to to the descendants of slavery is what's it's what's due. It's just like every other person out there working uh, to earn wages. And this is not to say to sit on your laurels, to not be financially educated, because that is also significant to say that you must understand what to do with the current dollar that you have. Right. Uh, and how to earn and uh, earn a wage. But then we look at living wages are laws right. where some states are not earning living wages. Right. I mean, Maryland just stepped up and, and, and stepped up their, their their wage, and I think that's a good thing. But like you said, it just seems like it just it could be a whole lot more going on than just a little bit of. It. The know. laws are being made by by 
Congress, by the executive, by every level of the executive branch. Right. So it's important that we be engaged in that process to understand how they negatively impact us. And, you know, so a simple thing, like a business owner that's a general contractor, when you find out that the, the, the kitchen cabinets that you need to put that kitchen together are no longer coming in from China because of the American uh, Buy America Act, mm-hmm. which is in itself significant, but also challenging to, to have affordable product for your business. Right. These are laws that are being passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one day you look up where your overhead was X dollar and then your overhead doubled. Because of a law that you weren't paying attention to. Exactly. So these are people who say, well, I don't get involved in those kinds of things. Well, guess what's very important to know? They're getting involved in your life. Right. And they're they're actively involved in your life. Every day. (laughs) Even down to the census. Yes. Tracking data and trying to exclude Mm -hmm. who's being tracked in the census impacts Mm -hmm. the community that you live in. Yeah. When you look at what's being done with returning citizens and having in, in Florida, they, they just passed a law that returning citizens uh, have to pay a fine after they've already done their time in order to register and vote. Voter suppression. Wow. Hold on. So they did their time. They get out, you know, get get their uh, get their rights back. But in order to get their rights, they got to pay for them. There is a law that they're being fined. And and here's what's important, because injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's that's that would be a true statement. (laughs) That would be a. So if voter suppression is become law in Congress. And this is all while we're talking about the Mueller report. The Mueller report is significant. But if we're not talking about what we're doing to create jobs in uh, uh, cybersecurity and making sure that our infrastructure is solid so that we cannot be infiltrated right. by external forces, then we're having the wrong conversations. Right. Impeachment is significant, but we got to redirect that conversation right. to what are the solutions. Right. Because that's, that's, a, that's a whole nother conversation. And I mean, I don't, I don't really like giving that dude that much entertainment, in, in in, in, that much energy. I really don't. Let's look at some simple, some real tangible uh, uh, ways to look at restorative justice. When you're applying for federal jobs, you can uh, apply as a veteran. Mm-hmm. Veteran have priority or precedence. Uh, uh, you can apply as a Native American. Native mm-hmm. American have, they're identified as a special class. Uh, they have precedence. So I believe that Native Americans are, are black and Descendants of enslaved persons need to also be identified as a special class. That would be to true. To have precedence. That would be true. Land grants. Land grants are are necessary as a form of reparations. When you look at how historically black colleges and universities were founded and started upon, it, there was land grants. And so I believe that any person that is of of a descendant of enslaved uh, enslavery, uh, they should be able to apply for land grants, and qualify them based on those reasons. Yeah, I agree with that. So we're talking about tangible things. You know, we're talking about everyday education. They should not have to pay for education or have to take out a student loan. And, I mean, and and it's from the last time I heard, student loan debt was, like, the number one debt. Student loan debt is going to be the next market crash. Wow. (laughs) 
You said the market crash. That's, student loan debt. That's serious. Between the student loan debt the d- and the current debt ceiling. It's real. Uh, we're definitely in uh, a a a very a very tumultuous times. Mm. It is it is there are level there's a civil war happening in the education arena in healthcare with big with big pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. There's a civil war happening Absolutely. around housing and gentrification. Uh, I'm working with a group now where one of the things that we're advocating is for economic justice. Okay. Uh, restorative justice and economic justice and equity and economic justice. Uh, gentrification is happening around the country. Oh yeah, where 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 it's now intentionally pushing out the have-nots. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the middle class is 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 the middle class is becoming more and more extinct mm-hmm. to having opportunities uh, uh, to live in uh, nice spaces and gentrified communities. Uh, and we're pushing back. And if you know, you're welcome to follow us at Crawford at Large on Twitter. It's Crawford at large. Uh, we'll be keeping a lot of updates there. And uh, we have a lot of work to do. A lot. A lot. I mean, because I think that I feel like sometimes that people don't people. It's like people pay attention to the things that um, are relevant, meaning, you know, social media, um, the next new song, um, the next new um reality show and i feel like the same type of attention that we focus on you know the so-called relevant stuff we could be focusing our attention on stuff that we might not know you know what i mean and i mean when i say might not know i mean stuff that you know you hear people talking about on tv and it's just like oh well what are they talking about why not go find out what they talking about when you say you know um reform like who who do you get that information from you can get it anywhere right yeah, I mean, it's not like it's not like you got to go fill out <laughs> a grant to to get this type of education or get this type of uh, information that we're talking about now. So, yeah. so why is it that it, it just seems like it's not something in place or people not feeling like they care? I'll say this: I my background is in uh, I studied journalism, marketing, and mass media at Shaw University. Okay, and. Um, Journalism and marketing and the media has done a very great job with controlling the narrative. Oh, there we go. Uh, and setting the agenda. And so the more images and visuals and, and sounds you hear about a particular subject mm-hmm. tends to be the direction that we all go into. Mm-hmm. And so it's important, like I said, while X is happening over here on the right What's not being discussed over here on the left? Right. And that's what I mean by uh, us coming to an awakening uh, to really be focused down on the issues. And I talked about this, too. I was I had opportunity to, to uh, join uh, uh, to attend the Broccoli City Fest. Okay. And Childish Gambino performed This Is America. Okay. And I don't know if you've seen that video. I've seen it. But it. It it there needs to be a, a, a an award class <laughs> for the level of of excellence that is displayed. Right. Because what he depicted in this video, 
was how quickly we can refocus to what's in front of us while we're not paying attention to what's in the background. Wow. And that is America. Yeah. And not just America, perhaps, because I saw another video that came out that says this is Nigeria. Mm. You know, and looking at other parts of the country where this guy just shot up the place over here, but seconds later, he had a dance going on and watch him whip. And it was... We got to the whip, and mm-hmm. what person, what 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 murdered people? What happened? And we forgot all that. about mm-hmm. what happened in the background, or, or what's happening in the background, or what just happened, because we're into the dance now. We're into the entertainment, and so the entertainment now is also being used uh, as a as a as a great tool mm-hmm. to distract us from what is is happening. That's the greatest impact behind uh, behind the scenes, and so. That is the best real life example that I could that I could share to demonstrate the times that we're living in because it is all happening at once, and and that's why I say also mental health is significant. It really is because the number of images that we have been exposed to, that we are being exposed to, uh, is significantly overwhelming for any one human being to process all at once. Um, so it was a story um, of a young of a young lady that was in Memphis. She was arrested for uploading two videos for raping a four year old boy. So when you say mental health, you know when when I, so it took me <clears throat> it took me okay it took me about fifteen minutes to let it soak in one what I was reading and then two I listened to the video and then three I thought of my five year old. Instantly. And then it's like, now I'm looking at the victim and the person who committed this horrible act. They both need help now. And the person who who the person who who did this horrible act, that didn't just that she didn't get that from just out the blue. Somebody did that to her. And so now we're talking about generations. Yes. Have you heard of uh, Tariq Nasheed? I've heard that name. Uh, Tariq Nasheed is working on a documentary called Buck Breaking. Okay, I need to write that down. For the first time this year, I heard the term Buck Breaking. And when I tell you that it that it changed my entire life. Okay. Uh, he created a hashtag called First Them. Okay. And in Buck Breaking, it basically talks about a slave master sexually exploiting their male uh, uh, slave. Okay. Wow. And then that's passed down from generation to generation. Wow. And so what we're experiencing today is a compound effect, which when people tell me that slavery is over, the institution of it, uh, the formalized version of it, perhaps, maybe, but the impact, the modern day effect of it right. is still highly in effect. It's still well and alive. I mean, the NFL. <clears throat> you, I mean, all owned by, and that's another part of the problem. Keep it a hundred. Where we're looking at, you know, black ownership in these industries, right? You know, being significantly less than the white counterparts, right? Land ownership. I mean, housing, home ownership among black people is as low today 
as it was when slave when 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 slavery was legal, when segregation was legal. Wow. Wow. That says a lot. That's a that's a, that's that's a tone in my mind. Because when I think about that, I think about the NFL off the break and I think about all of the black entertainers or people who have who just 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 people who are influential that's black. How they don't get a shot at owning a team. Yeah, and, and it would be a thing of every athlete having to put their money together to to sign off as a joint owner. Right. And even that, and even in that, they can be denied. Right. Because they have to even, uh, there's a membership that has to be accepted. Right. Because they've created this society that shuts the door on many black and African-American people. And, and people will say that that whole... Colin Kaepernick situation, you know, didn't go the way everybody thought they saw it going because they saying that this was a $10 million payout. $10 million, That was it? So to me, I mean, I look at, I look at, you know, situations like that on a grand scale. Like, look what they, look how they treated him, right? So if they treated him like that and he's famous, he's on TV, everybody knows his name, what the fuck you think they're going to be doing to you? But and that's also a generational thing when you want to teach someone a lesson, you kind of hang out to dry. Right. The one that's willing to speak up and step up. Right. That's also generational. That's also a part of the fabric of this country. And so when I was younger, right, I used to get told that I talked too much, meaning that if I had a job and I felt like I was being treated some type of way. I was told that I needed to be quiet or I lose my job. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking if you have a job, you should be you should be able to have the right to be treated a certain way, right? I and, agree. And if you're not being treated a certain way, you should be able to have the right to just say, hey, I don't think I'm being treated fairly, right? And so the older people in my family used to be like, well, you can't do that. because That's how you're going to lose your job. You got to let them white people do what they do. What does that mean? Let that them do a, what they do, what they what they did to y'all, what they been doing. I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be able to be treated right, and I want to speak on it if I can. It's a learned, passed down yes. behavior. Yes. And the best advice on that note I can give is to put it in writing. Right. Is to now let your writing skills speak for you. And that was a large part of the reasons why slaves were not educated, because those who were able to learn to read and write, many of them we're now under, able to understand laws and write their own free papers. Right, right. And so today, in the modern-day slavery world, you can now write your own free papers. You can write, uh, learning to read and write will change your life and can change your life and your business and your job and you know ensure that you're not being treated with prejudice, ensure that you're not being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's so many tools and resources out here today uh, that can be utilized in support systems for when you are being treated unfairly and unjustly. I mean, I, and so I, it is important to speak up. I've 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 had to go to the EEOC a few times, and so I've been up there enough times to know, you know, kind of when I'm not being treated a certain type of way. And so for me, I've never been that type of person where, um, I mean, s- me speaking up sometimes have got has gotten me fired. You know, has gotten me, you know, in some, you know, bad situations, being able not to being able to provide for my family. But I never looked at it as me, you know, just being a nitwit, just being somebody that just 
want to say something because I can. I'm looking at it like I'm I'm speaking up for myself, but I'm speaking up for everybody who don't want to, you know, speak up. Yeah. Because I'm not the only person that feel like this. Right. But I, but like you just said, I'm the one that everybody sees. So, okay, let's make the example out of him, which is fine. I've been made example of a lot. But I feel like that's not a stigma that's going to stop me from speaking up or let alone giving my people the type of information that I think they need. It takes courage. It takes courage to have this conversation. It takes courage to speak up on your behalf. It takes courage to speak up on behalf of people that are depending on you. Right. So I applaud you and everybody else out there listening um, who have found the courage to step up and uh, in your respective areas and speak up uh, against the inequities in this country and in your spaces uh, because— uh, there are so many uh, layers to what we confront and deal with every day yes. that it's easy to opt out. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. It's easy to unsubscribe. Yes. And I encourage you not to unsubscribe. I encourage you to stay plugged in, to stay finished, uh, to stay focused because uh, we are not finished. At all. Opt out. I like that. Because I'm not opting out. I felt like I did that when I was young. I felt like I, I gave up a lot of my rights. I felt like I gave up a lot of stuff that I could have done better. But I made some dumb decisions um, and even put other people in, in bad situations. And I feel like now um, I'm at a point. I remember one time I went to counseling. And the counselor asked me, did I consider myself a leader? And I was like, I don't think so. She was like, you sure? She was like, just tell me some stories about you and, you know, growing up or whatever. And so I told her maybe like, you know, five or six different stories on different occasions coming to see her. And she was like, you've told me, you know, a few stories and you don't realize that you have led in each story and everybody mm. followed you. Yeah. I was like, huh? So I've led people to some to, into some terrible situations. Mm-hmm. But now I feel like knowing that I want to be able to steer that in a different path. You yeah. know, now that we older, because I feel like I can't be the twenty five year old back on the block no more. Because I ain't twenty five. Mm-hmm. What I'm supposed to do? Uh, I'm supposed to do be twenty five at forty one. I can't. It don't even. Ma- it don't add up. Yeah. You know what I mean? The youngest out there see me back out there. They like, what you doing out here? You old head now. What you doing out here? And so hopefully they they can now see you out there in a different perspective. Oh uh, yeah, uh, see you doing some things with your time and and, and resources to to educate uh, and advance the culture, which is necessary. Seeing uh, black men being able to create platforms, right? Uh, and, and hopefully they will follow you in that suit. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping so. I mean, because I'm I'm as I'm as I'm kind of doing this, I'm following too. You know, because I. Went to the other uh, day of empathy with um Tony Lewis and it was it was to me it was impactful for me because one I've I've been I've had to do that count you know what yeah. I mean I've I've been involved with that for a while and some of the guys that I talked to you know I might not have done as much time as they have but I know what that count feels like you know on numerous occasions and so you know bumping into a few people there um I saw Raheem Jenkins he interviewed me back in 1996 um the one year anniversary of the Million Man March. I was I was incarcerated, mm. but he happened to catch somebody that was at Baloo that knew me, 
you know, told him my story. He interviewed me. I can't remember um, what the um, – I, I, I know Bruce Johnson did the interview, but I can't remember how to get um, the actual footage because I would like to see it myself. Definitely. Um, but it was an interview that uh, Raheem Jenkins did with me, and I just think from that point on something sparked something inside of me. And this was, you know, I was in high school, mm-hmm. you know, just getting out in high school. I mean, I still cut up a little bit, but I think – as I started to grow, you know, the the nonsense and the foolishness kind of cut out, you know, as I as I grew up, so to speak, as I started to grow up. So I had a daughter. She's 23. My oldest is 23. My youngest is five. Um, and so I think my oldest daughter kind of started it off, mm-hmm. you know, like Get you slowly in the right getting direction. me. Exactly. And now my, my little daughter got me like. Focused. Running. Like, because I mean, because I know if it's, it's about them now. It's not about me. I mean, as I get old, I look at my mom and, you know, my older people, my family, and, you know, they setting up, you know, for the next for the next thing. And I think we need to be doing the same. Wills, you know, trust, deeds, you know, all that stuff. I mean, we're not doing it, though. You know what I mean? We, we, we It starts with us. It's going right. to start. It's going to be one person. And I just encourage everybody listening to say that you can be the one person in your family that's going to change the financial trajectory. It's going to change the right. economic trajectory. It's going to change the mental state of your family. Right. It only takes one person with your last name. Right. And sometimes, very likely, that person becomes us. Yeah, that's true. That is, sometimes that is true. we become that person. And and I had a friend of mine who spoke about you know the the generational wealth part. Going back to that, that you know he had a family member who had all this land. And it, people just dropped the ball, and now they don't even own the land anymore. Understanding the so, value, you know what I mean. Just a lot of t- another thing we was just challenging is that we have not yet learned the value uh, of of having ownership and equity. Right, uh, and, and I think now many of us are within this gen with the, as the generations progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are times where, unfortunately, wealth skips a generation. That's true. That is true. Because it was not preserved and maintained. (laughs) You know, or you you didn't see the value in keeping that house that that was lost by your loved one. Right. Uh, You you thought it was better to sell it and split the money up because you needed the cash. Right. Or whatever the case may or may not have been. Mm -hmm. Um, But that comes a lot with education. Right. Knowing. That you should be taught, I believe, in K through 12. Right. So, But how does that work? I mean, how how, how do we... Because I hear stories about in that math class, in that uh, what is the class, algebra class, in that algebra two class. Good gracious! I mean, you know, I think these are classes where we need to be learning about money. Yeah, finances. Mm -hmm. Because I was, I was, I was looking at a story um, talking about charter schools and how they are ran, saying that you know they have a little bit of the public school feel, but have a little bit more direction. A little bit more foundation, so to speak. But then I was like, well, why why are they all closing? And now shipping people to, you know, um, neighborhood high schools and now increasing the number of people or kids that's in the school. Because charter school laws are aiding and abetting this closure. You can get one technical, one technicality, and your doors are shut. Right. Because, I, I mean, I was reading an article about what they're doing at Baloo, you know, and just, you know, cutting funding from education. I'm like, how? How, how is that possible? Yeah, that's happening at a lot of other schools in Ward 8. Uh, they look at it, they start to reprioritize the funding, mm-hmm. and they uh, put black uh, minority schools and 
uh, predominantly poor communities mm-hmm. at a lower class. And so, how, I mean, what's the, I mean, what's the, what's the take? I mean, what's the, what's the take on taking away from education, though? I don't Dep- get that. So it depends on where, where the money's going. The take on it, 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 there's no logical definition for it. There's always a a justification mm-hmm. that people provide when they are removing funding mm-hmm. from uh, marginalized schools. But the bottom line, it boils down to lack of concern. Right. And and you and would you say a lack of concern also a resource because you, you just like you said you need the money so it's a lack of funding as well. Uh, I think it's not a value in human capital. Okay. When you take away from education. You are taken away from the future. Right. Generations to come. Right. And that is what we can, what I will not and cannot watch and be silent about it. Right. I don't think I can. I don't think I can either because, I mean, at this point, I mean, we need we need as much um, education as possible to move forward to do anything. <coughs> I mean, whether it's, I mean, I had an argument, well, not an argument, but I had an um, episode on, you know, skilled trade versus college. Yeah. And we looked at the difference between, you know, having, you know, getting out at a standard, you know, business administration degree, making, you know, 58000 maybe versus a trademan who, you know, did his year two journeyship and now the apprenticeship is over with. Now he's making, you know, $25, $30 an hour compared to the college, you know, graduate. But now he has outstanding debt. So now they're going to garnish the wages out of the check that they get. So it's just a, like, it, is it a must that we go to college? I mean, some of us go, and all of it ain't for everybody. But then you got that trade, you know, that's you know that can still provide as well. So it's just like we got to find that that balance. And you know, middle schools, you know, ask these kids what they want to do, and go from there. Because I feel like the generational gap, we can close it if we start now. You know, really getting it back in school. And I just feel like you know if we can get it going back in school at a younger age and, you know, like you said, start early K through 12. I mean, I think stuff can be a lot better. I really do. I I agree uh, that we need to institute a process not only for uh, uh, tradesmen, but for what is the, what is the path for uh, those receiving college educations to ensure that they can come out debt free um, with a career. Right. And, and, how do we help select careers that pay well? Right. Um, education is another field that doesn't pay well. Exactly. You know, educators are, are significantly underfunded. Right. And they're the ones typically funding uh, the classroom. Right. You know, you, uh, there was a, a photo of a of an ordinary classroom with blank walls. And then there was a photo right next to it of a classroom with art, colors, paintings, all Purchased and bought by the by the teacher mm. who was not being paid enough. Wow! Uh, so th- again, we have a lot of work to do uh, in these areas. Final thought. Give me a final thought on on, on how you think we'll we'll look um, in the next five years since we got this twenty twenty election coming up. The, the next five years, depending on who is getting involved and getting activated, if you are getting involved and getting activated, it is going to be uh, responsive to the demands that we set forward. Okay. And until we start showing up, making our demands, and, and 
unwavering demands, not demands where we're falling off uh, after This Is America happens and the next dance comes on. Uh, we can set the agenda right. in the next five years. We just have to show up to set it. So now I'm, I'm going to throw a wrinkle in it real quick. So out of the out of the the I think it's like twenty now. Is it twenty candidates or twenty one? Did Joe it make it twenty one? I think it was two dozen. Okay. So it was one candidate that was openly gay. And then it's a slew of female candidates, you know, white and black, and then a slew of male candidates, white and black. So I posed the question. would it be would it would it be a issue? If we had a openly gay white president or openly gay female president, because this, the, the, the thing is now that somebody said that, oh, we're not we're not going to vote for a female. So it's going to end up being a white male again. So you're dealing with humanity. People will all there are going to be somebody. There's going to be someone somewhere who takes who finds anything to take issue with. Right. <laughs> right. Right. It, it, it there's no pleasing everyone. Right. Regardless of of sexual orientation, we have to look at strong policies. We have to look at who's willing to step up to the plate uh to really demonstrate leadership capabilities through policy and understanding how to navigate the layers of of governance. Right. Uh, and so that is what I, I, w- I would always redirect the conversation to who is really dealing with policy. And right now I see that person as being Elizabeth Warren. Mm, uh, interesting. I, I like Kamala Harris. She's also someone that's on my radar. Okay. Um, Joe Biden has... Is showing as a front runner based on name recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, his past voting record is a part of the problem. Reasons are we in the the, the problems that we're facing today. Mm. So he has a lot of explaining to do uh, directly to show, not even explain. See, other candidates can kind of project and explain, mm-hmm. but he's someone who's made policies as as that's impacted us negatively. He. You know, made the policies that Senator Kamala executed as uh, as a prosecutor. Okay, he made those laws, uh, advocated for them. Mm-hmm. And so he has to show the same energy that he advocated from the from the Senate floor on uh, uh, putting predators away and putting black people in jail. Right. He has to show that same exact energy on what is the restorative process look like for those returning. Right. What does restorative justice look like for those who were wrongfully accused and returning back into society and to their families? Right. So oftentimes I say, and I'll leave you with this, sometimes it's the, the snake that bit you is the one that can cure you. Mm. That's interesting. I think I heard that when you said it the first time. So mm. that's possibly a scenario that we're in. Uh that we are looking at to to have to, uh, to that that we have to go back to the source, and he has to face the decisions that he's made and the policies he advocated for and helped sponsor. Yeah, to get us in the situation that we're in today. And what I did, what I on another note, I'll leave you with this. 
you know, I've seen some video comparisons that say that, okay, this is a video that uh, uh, that Biden pushed and, and, and Bernie was against. But the problem with Bernie is that he went and still voted for those policies. So I'd rather know at face value who I'm dealing with than the person that's up openly advocating against it right. and then quietly does the absolute opposite right. of what they're advocating for. Right. I agree with that. And thank you so much for having me today. <laughs> I agree with that because a lot of times people say, um, you know, um, you know, people say and do stuff, but then turn right around and apologize. Not even apologize. Do the opposite. He voted for the crime bills. Right. He voted for maximum minimum uh, right. wages, uh, right. minimum charges. Charges, right. Uh, Bernie Sanders voted in favor of these things, and he'll respond and say, oh, there was a lot of other things in the bill. But the long story short is, Bernie, you voted for it. Right. Now, he wasn't the person in the front advocating for it, but he also didn't make any announcements when he voted in favor for the projects, right. for the policies. Right. And so with that being said, I mean, people, I mean, listen, I mean, it's a lot of stuff that's going on in front of us. Um, and, 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 and it's a lot of smoke screens. Um, these smoke screens are designed to get us off balance and to get us thinking differently and not really paying attention to who we, we should be voting attention. for and what we should be doing out here. So, I mean, this this type of platform for me now is is wide open. I want to try to bring as many different dynamics um, to the to the episodes as possible because I don't want to just stay stuck on one, you know, grammar or one, you know, topic or one issue. I just I want to kind of fill it, you know, see what's going on and, and, and bring it to the table. So um, it's been it's been a pleasure, Miss Crawford. I'm glad you made time. Um, I'm definitely going to try to set something up again where to be a few more um, people in the building so that way we can really get into a bigger dialogue because I, ha- I had another guest coming, but he couldn't make it. His Uber was leaving from Lago and I was like Lago to here <laughs> after 7 nah we may as well try to reschedule champ so we gonna try to reschedule it again and I'm gonna see if we can get a, not a form but it'll be maybe two more people Let's here do it. and try to you know talk about some stuff again so um, I appreciate y'all coming through I appreciate y'all listening as always man be better than you were yesterday and this is the 6 man and I'm out y'all be peace and love Chaper's Clothing is a new stylist black-owned brand established in 2016. They explore unfamiliar territories in the clothing industry by tailoring their Euro Street vibe into their entire product line to enrich their vision to their customers and all of their clients. In a world where you can be anything, Chaper's says, be you, be versatile. Chaper's clothing can also be found at www.shopchaperisclothing.com. And Chaper's clothing is also an official partner of this show. Real talk with the six man. Chaper's, be you, be versatile.